Hello and welcome to Lady Time. I am your host and producer today, Carol Fitzpatrick, and today I am doing an on-site interview. And before I go into the interview, I just want to remind people that I am running three different courses. Looks like it's going to be the beginning of 2024. They're going to run for eight weeks each. If you're interested, I would love to hear from you. One is on developing self-compassion and what that involves is really about getting strategies to to be more loving towards yourself and self-compassion is the key cornerstone I believe in healing whether it's healing physically emotionally or mentally or spiritually you know some people seem to have things a lot easier life a lot easier they seem to not get caught up in drama so much or they seem happier or more confident well that's what I hope that you will gain from this course is a sense of confidence, a sense of self-esteem and emotional resilience. So it'll be a deep dive into looking at what are the issues that trigger you, that upset you and getting strategies to, to help you manage your emotions a lot more and help you be more compassionate to yourself. And when you're more compassionate to yourself, you're more compassionate to others. And when you're compassionate to yourself, the reverberations of that in the world is quite big. Each of us that learn to be more compassionate to ourselves, we show other people how to be compassionate, but also on an energetic level, there's more compassion in the world and more compassion. We can do it more compassion in the world right now. We certainly can do it a lot more compassion in the world right now. The second course I'm doing is on your energy field. So if you're interested in learning a bit more about your aura, the seven main chakras, but it's, I suppose, empowerment around your health by having the knowledge and the awareness of how the chakras and the energy field interacts with our body, mind and spirit. The third course is on relationships, repairing relationships. And I don't know, but Getting to midlife, you know, responsibilities, whether it's having a family or a job or financial pressures, they take a toll on our relationships. But also our relationship field, the relationship field, the space between you and somebody you're relating to is a field of opportunities. This is where we work through our own baggage. We bring it unconsciously into the relationship. A relationship is a gift of healing. It's a field of healing. It's a place where we can heal ourselves. The relationship to the self, of course, is the most important relationship. But we often find that we can learn so much about ourselves and how to be with other people, how to be happier in relationships, less conflict, more communication and more ease with yourself and then with others. So if you're interested in repairing relationship. It could be the relationship with your significant other. It could be the relationship with uh, friends. It could be a relationship at work that you want to kind of have a look and see what's really going on there and how can I heal myself in that relationship and repair the relationship. We're doing it with compassion. And if you're interested, please contact me. My email address is carolfitzb at gmail.com. That's C-A-R-O-L-E-F-I-T-Z-P at gmail.com. 
Hi, so today I am in Bray Clinic for Natural Medicine. I hope I got that right. Uh, with Johnny Roach. Johnny is a herbalist. He's a shiatsu practitioner and he runs the Bray Clinic of Natural Medicine. Johnny is an old friend of mine. I think we go back to the 90s. Yeah, 1996. 1996. Uh, Johnny, you're so welcome and thank you for doing the interview with me today. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to what we explore about. Yes. However yeah. way that unfolds. Yes, yes, thank you. So first of all, I just want to describe this place. This is a room overlooking the sea on the Bray Seafront. And it's such a beautiful, calm room. I just need to describe that because um, I'm in Johnny's clinic and it exudes calmness more than any room I've been in. So I think that's probably a bit about your character too, Johnny. You're very calm. It's nice to curate spaces as well. Like I, I do... I suppose I'm quite a homely person, so I do like to have a nice nourishing home. And then also the clinic space is important that people feel relaxed as well. Yeah, so clean and calm. And oh, it's a lovely. I'm, I'm in love with the room already. <laughs> when did you, I might start with the herbalist stuff first, if that's okay. When did you get into herbalism? Um. The first time I remember really being inspired by it was my brother was studying botany in Trinity and he told me about these class of plants called adaptogens, which had been discovered by in in Russia, actually, when they were training cosmonauts. They discovered these class of plants called adaptogens that would when they went into the body as medicine, they would adapt to what the body needed. So they would seem to have contradictory effects on different people because uh, they could raise certain people's blood pressure or lower other people's blood pressure or put people to sleep or make people, other people wake up more refreshed or give people energy or sedate more people, sedate people as required. So they seem to be intelligent medicines. They would go into the body and do what was required in the body rather than the actions of a drug, which would always be in the same direction. These would have multiple effects on the body. And as I said, seem to do contradictory things. And I thought, oh, wow, that, that sounds really amazing. Like um, that was before I was into healing. But I suppose my first call of learning was to do with forestry. So I studied forestry and agriculture in North Wales and I I was always drawn to forests, mm. um, probably from a recreational point of view rather than in terms of a commercial aspect. So I really just knew that forests were really good for me in terms of a, an environment. Um, wow. So what do you think of forest bathing now? Is the, the... Yeah, it's interesting that that's blossomed or yes. perhaps mushroomed in the world. Yes. Um, like there is... Yeah, it's interesting to see how how popular that is. There is another Irish phrase called tenalock. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. No. It literally means to hear the earth sing. Oh, wow. And so that's sort of points to a oneness of how we are in nature. Like, Mm. so 
The forest bathing is really well researched in terms of, again, the what we call in herbal medicine or natural medicine, amphoteric effects. Like so when people go into a forest or or a natural environment, it seems to have these contradictory medical effects or normalizing or balancing medical effects. So, for example, if people have high blood pressure, it normalizes their blood pressure or normalizes their heart rate or respiratory rate. And uh, so tenalock, which is the Irish expression of that, is to be so immersed in nature that that we feel one with it. Like, And similarly, there's another phrase in Wales, in Welsh called nufra, which is about imbibing the natural power of nature in our body. So we drink it in with our senses. So in other words, we're letting go of our mental process, but either smelling the flowers or seeing the beauty around in the world or hearing the birds sing. And so although there is like a fashion for forest bathing, which is a new thing that comes from Japan, it's really inherent in our own Celtic culture, but it's also inherent in everybody that lives on the earth anyway. Like, I mean, it's just yes. that we have these names for it anyway, I think so. Absolutely. But yeah. I think there is, an, uh, yes, a push recently to 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 get people back connected to yeah. nature. And I know myself, oh my gosh, I love being in the forest. I, yeah. I, I think I was afraid of the forest for a long time, uh, but now I just love it. I think I was afraid of, especially at nighttime, forests. I always got an eerie feeling, but now I just, I don't spend time in the forest at nighttime now, but I love it. But I, I think we're so um, busy these days with, you know, going from the car to the house, to the school, to the, the business, the work, whatever, mm. that nature sometimes escapes us. So we do need the escape back into nature. Yeah, I suppose I'm fortuitous in a way in that I happen now to live in the most forested valley in Wicklow and I can also leave my house and walk directly into the forest. So I'd probably be the opposite to you in that I actually walk into the forest at dusk because there's less people in in there at that time and my eyes and senses are really acclimatized to going in at, at that time in in the dark like so i can see the bats and i i can i mean it's not that i'm walking into the darkness without having torches and things like that but i but but i don't tend to use a torch until i absolutely need it like and there's just a stillness around that time i suppose a lot of people would describe the songs of the birds in terms of the dawn chorus but there's also a dusk chorus when the birds go to roost and I'd be very familiar with that time and what the birds are are calling or those sounds and then the other animals that come out at night like badgers or bats as I said and foxes tend to be diurnal as well like so Yes, yeah, I see lots of foxes in the city, but uh, yeah, I don't have that fear anymore, but I did have it. I think it was coming from movies I watched, horror movies of the nature. Yeah, I mean, there is this darkness around going into the woods at night, like particularly if you're going from a city environment where your eyes aren't adjusted to that type of thing, but you definitely acclimatize to it or become immersed in it. Sounds beautiful. And badges, I saw my first live badger recently and it, funny we were staying um beside the woods mm. um so it was yeah again nighttime but i only mm. ever see them dead on the road so it's so nice to actually see one 
walking along. <laughs> yeah, that's true for me as well. I I've only seen them alive a few times, but mm. now I actually now that I think of it, I haven't seen a dead one for ages, which mm. is really nice. Like, but it used to be so upsetting. Yeah, only seen them dead. Mm. And, but it, having said that, I've only seen them alive maybe four times or five times now, like altogether. So it's really elusive and very uplifting when I when I do see it. I did come across one in the dark recently. I didn't actually see it, but it did let a warning. Uh, I don't know what the sound was like, but I, I, I did get a heart flutter and it was kind of scared because <laughs> they are kind of ferocious. And oh. Particularly when you can't see it, but you know that it's there. It's, yeah, um, yeah it was scary. We have them in our garden, which I believe. Um, we have a woodland just behind us. Mm. And um, I don't know how they get into the garden, but they do. They come in and they root up mm. parts of the grass during mm. different times, which is great. Mm. We never see them, but we see the evidence the sure, next yeah, day. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Great creatures. So, okay. So that's how you balance yourself then in the evening, is it? Going in for a dusk walk in the woods uh, yeah I mean I don't like with the darkening evenings at the moment it's harder mm. to judge it um so I yeah it's a few days maybe I don't know it's maybe about four or five days since I've been in there yes but yeah. it is um it is a really clearing space to go particularly because I'm walking down into a valley mm. there's a beautiful river at the bottom of the valley like and that is like a yeah a recharging aspect of my life so I feel really privileged to live there. Like, yeah, or grateful. Yeah. So lucky, yeah. Mm. So jealous. So that was your to go back to the aptogens. That is fascinating, yeah. um, isn't it? Mm. Like, and and it is about the oneness with nature. Then that the plant, the relationship with the plant, the plant finds out where to go, what to do with yeah. you, and obviously each plant has a different does have some sort of affinity for a different part of the body affinity, yes so yes. for example with hawthorn again we'd call we wouldn't call it an adaptogen but we would say that it's amphoteric so it has a particular affinity for the heart so again it can either lower or increase heart rate or or lower or increase blood pressure as well but in fact what it's actually doing is nourishing the heart itself so it increases the blood supply to the heart and then once the heart is functioning properly, then it's able to create a balancing effect on the rest of the body. So, oh, yeah. So really herbs, because they're quite complex, like, so for example, most drugs contain only one or two molecules in them. Uh, whereas if you take most plants, they'd have four or 500 different molecules in them. Like, so, wow. um, yeah, nature is complex and mm-hmm. complicated and intelligent. And so it's with that intelligence that we work with. And also our bodies are complex and mm-hmm. complicated and intelligent as well. Absolutely. And so in my experience, it's easier to use complicated or natural medicines to bring about changes in the body. I love that idea. I love that idea that the aptogens, I, I, I never understood what aptogen meant before. Thank you. Mm, <laughs> it's a, a, adaptogen. So. Ad- oh, sorry. Yeah, adaptogens. Okay. <laughs> adaptogens. Yeah. So, and also I heard that certain plants grow places where, so if I'm living somewhere and, and there's a lot of daisies, that the daisies are there as a, they grow naturally as a response to me. I don't know um, if that's 
Yeah, I suppose that's a human-centric view of the yes. world. And some people do say that. Like, So there is a well-defined phenomenon with Lyme's disease, for example, in the United States, that, for example, Japanese knotweed is mm. one of the main plants used in treating the uh, muscular pain or myalgia that, that uh, occurs with Lyme's disease. And it's interesting that the spread of Japanese knotweed, it's a really invasive weed from Japan or, or from Asia anyway, like, and it's happening in Ireland as well, that it's really expensive and difficult for people to get it out of their gardens. But in the States, it, the, the spread of Japanese knotweed across the continent uh, precedes the spread of Lyme's disease by about six months. So in other words, the Japanese knotweed is establishing itself as a medicinal community before the Lyme's disease comes into that area. Like So in other words, there is, and some people think of it as there is a predetermined um, formula or remedy for a disease that's about to come in. So again, that's a human, human-centric view of it. It may not be that. Like, but coming back to the daisies, and they're there for us. I think the plants do their own thing, mm-hmm. but but it's nice for our consciousness to tap into the fact that they're there as well. Mm-hmm. Like, because often it would, or historically, the plants would have been there for millions of years before we came along, and. Mm-hmm. And then we evolved with them rather than them evolving for us. Right. So it depends okay. which way, yeah, w- which way our worldview is. You know? Yeah. 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 Well, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I made, uh, I, I, did, I don't make all of my medicines from scratch, mm-hmm. but I did make a daisy oil recently, like, and that's really good for trauma. Like, I don't do homeopathy, but in homeopathy, they use, daisy for deep wound tra- trauma and it is really good for bruising as well like so okay so it's quite a nice way to spend an afternoon it's quite time consuming picking daisies actually but i did um pick some fresh ones enough for a jar and then i poured olive oil over it and left it in a window and uh, to infuse the oil like and that that's really good for wound trauma like so okay okay nice brilliant thing. So daisies in olive oil in the window. In a, the yeah, sun, in, a, sunlight, in a jar. In a jar. Yeah. yeah a yeah. tight, closed jar or open jar? Uh, yeah, I tend to keep it closed, yeah. Closed, yeah. yeah. yeah for about three weeks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. great. Yeah. You'd have to do it in the summer to get some light. Yes, yeah. and the daisies. Yeah. No, the reason I mentioned daisies was I remember oh, when I was looking after uh, my mother-in-law who was very sick and it, it was, you know, quite a, a sudden illness that mm. came on after a stroke mm. and um broken hip so the the care level upped very quickly mm. as well as the arrival of covid at the same time so i know i had knots in my tummy trying to do everything and mm. adapt mm. <laughs> and i had yeah i had a knot in my tummy and i was talking to a woman who's who said you know go out and pick daisies and I think she said to boil them and put them in the window and mm. and to drink it after a couple of days. And okay. uh, I thought, wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. I never knew daisies had such great healing powers. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that's nice. I mean, it is always nice preparing our own medicine like that. And yes. there, as I said, there is a, 
kind of patient quality of just being on the grass and, and picking the daisies. Like it definitely reminds me of being a child, like uh, just like yeah, on the grass or or getting that close to it. And it, and it is time consuming as well. So there is a level of patience and care that we are exhibiting for ourselves also in terms of creating our own medicine like so we imbibe it with our own good intentions as well absolutely so you're telling your body i am actively taking part in minding you and you're grounding you're sitting outside picking up daisies here and you're using your hands the grounding is such a healing aspect aspect as well isn't it yeah Yeah. so all all process all parts of the process are healing yeah it also goes back to something more traditional as well in terms of traditional healers um or in traditional societies the the medicine people either men or women would almost sing to the plants as they're gathering them like there'd be a meditative state or or a state of deep intention in terms of their uh, relationship with the plants and they'd often offer something in exchange for for taking the plants and there's also a thing that you only take what you need rather than over harvesting everything right? because a little bit of those medicines goes a long way as well and we don't want to take them from their own home in terms of what they're doing you know so mm. only taking what we need is a good intention around that as well oh yeah so so I, I uh, we have bay leaves out in the garden, which I take every day, a couple of leaves. But I always say a little appreciation to Great. the to the tree yeah. or the the hedge, and uh, but I don't give anything back except for that. Yeah, I don't always do it either, but I but I think just that positive intention or thought process is enough. In a yes. Way. Yeah. 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 yeah well, I, we do have a bay, a couple of bay trees. All right. Um, I actually find the flavour of bay is intensified by drying. Do you find that? Um, I believe so. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I did. It takes patience though as well. Like a, yeah, yeah, I did try it last year. Yeah. Or no, not last year, about three years ago. Again, um, our neighbour's hedge, which had bay in it, yeah. was cut, you know, it was being cut down yeah. by their gardener and a lot of the leaves fell into our garden. Yeah. And I was like, what are we going to do with these? Mm. Um, so I picked it up and, and dried them out. And yeah, it was lovely. Mm. Again, it was the process of doing that was really nice. Okay. Yeah. You just reminded me of something, actually. I, I usually park further away, like as in, we're here on the seafront in Bray, but I'll go and park on one of the free roads, which is maybe about a 10-minute walk. And mm-hmm. it's nice because then I get to walk along the seafront. But I was walking home from work about three months ago and a huge bay hedge on the way home had been obliterated by uh, tree surgeons Mm -hmm. but I smelt it from about 60 meters away and the intensification of the smell um, amplified as I was walking by like so I was just in this immersive sensory experience of fresh bay leaves um, on my way home which was really uplifting and so yeah did you pick some up and bring them I didn't no I just didn't I just really enjoyed it but at the moment it I suppose because coming into the darker months I'm making homemade chai so the chai recipe has bay leaves in it as well as fennel and cinnamon and stuff in it so gorgeous yeah it's nice to make your own tea isn't it yeah yeah I mean it, it again with 
well, maybe not with daisies, but like it's one of the easiest things just to pick a few, say, sage leaves or even nettle leaves and, and just mm. pour boiling water over it. Like it's, it's one of the easiest things to do, right? Like so, but I think at the moment, there's just something really richly nourishing about having a spicy tea. Um, mm. So, I mean, I could do it with the fresh bay leaves, but um, yeah, sometimes I don't feel like in there the horizontal range just to get the, <laughs> the, the babies like so it's nicer to have them in a jar at home I can yeah well it's a great idea and I did hear that the the flavor is more intense as they dry because that's what they're sold as as well as usually dried bay leaves um oh that's great you're making your own chai what do you throw into it um, bay obviously bay it's bay fennel black pepper um and then ginger cloves cardamom and cinnamon oh, so seven. Wow. and then I suppose you can add in black tea and milk and honey if you want to but I, I just don't do it I think with the fennel it's sweet enough as it is like and then often because I'm drinking it late at night I don't want the caffeine in it I do actually definitely prefer it with, with the black tea in it like the builder's tea or berries or or lions whatever don't get into that debate about it uh, <laughs> Uh, but I don't tend to drink it with milk or sugar. Yeah, or yeah. Honey or whatever, but but yeah, it is really nice uplifting and digestively warming too. So great, yeah. I, I what do I do? I I make um. Well, at the moment, I do lemon and cayenne pepper oh, for nice. my circulation. Yeah. I think that's good for your circulation. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah, and for your digestion, mm. and it's nice and warming. It's mm. and I always drink hot water, just plain. Mm. Um, but actually it's nicer with, with the lemon and a bit of yeah. spice. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. So tell me about yeah, what you work with. Like what do people bring to you? Uh I definitely I mean there are trends of, of things, but I definitely treat a lot of anxiety and mm. depression and um and different forms of kind of I, I suppose we'd call them psychiatric conditions but say like brain fog or inability to concentrate which is slightly different from brain fog um, and then anxiety as I said and and lower moods um, tell me about the anxiety what age group comes to you with anxiety is it uh, all ages definitely a lot of teenagers yeah that's what I was wondering yeah and then probably, um, yeah, probably all ages after that. Mm. But I would say, I'd say it occurs more in, uh, maybe teenagers is, isn't right, but like in 20 somethings or 30 mm-hmm. somethings. Um, and then again, later in life in kind of late 40s or 50s. Um, I yes, tend because... to see more women than men. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just because women have a higher level of self-care and also are aren't inhibited by asking for help, whereas mm. men tend to be a bit shyer around that. Anxiety doesn't seem to be as preve- pre- prevalent in the men that come to see me, but low mood might be in that case. Okay. Um, and as you said, uh, well, before we started talking, there was a little, we did have a conversation about andropause as well. Right? Yes. So low mood can um, 
can be indicative of that time of life as well. Like whereas in menopause, I don't see low mood as much as I would see anxiety or brain fog, that type of thing. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. But so coming back to your question, like there is psychiatry, but I also do quite a lot of hormonal balance, mm-hmm. particularly around menstrual cycles and regulating menstrual cycles, particularly reducing pain. And then other things like PCOS and endometriosis and that as well. Okay, it's a great. Little bit unfortunate in that in terms of endometriosis, most people have already had the, the I can't say the word and the proscopies. Oh yes. Um, so they've had a lot of their tissue removed already. Um, but I mean that's that's generally the case for natural medicine. It's a secondary intervention. It's usually the last port call, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So I <laughs> I do get into the line people quite a lot, like sure. And they can be quite difficult or or I wouldn't say impossible to treat, but yeah, it's a challenge, you know. It's easier if people don't have me as a last resort, you know. Yes, yeah. yes. But would they repeat visit then once they've Yeah, once it's established. Helped. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Once it's established that it's working then there is there are repeat consultations for herbal medicine but once the medicine is sorted out then they don't really need to see me as much it's just like going to the chemist to get a, a repeat prescription but it's not a conveyor belt forever like as in the medicine is a tonic medicine so it creates changes in the body and after a while people will forget to take the medicine that's just an indication that they don't need it anymore like they can just start to come off it naturally great so say someone comes with pcos they're like teens or early 20s and they're in a lot of pain and discomfort and mood everything comes with that but then there's the well, it's, it's, it has quite a big effect on, on women, doesn't it? It's like weight gain, yeah, um, fertility challenges, fertility challenges yeah, as well. There are things around um, and like elevated androgens, like in terms of more facial hair or yes. aura. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff, yeah. yeah. All of yeah. those things, yeah. So do you have, do you customise them? They're like bespoke remedies yeah know. they yeah. are yeah so i mean it's it's very individualized um because my own not just my own experience of being human but i suppose everybody's mm-hmm. it's complex being human like, mm-hmm. uh, so we all present differently um and so people can have for example with pcos people can have it really mildly or stereotypically as in um they'd have weight gain and male pattern acne or hirsutism. Um, What's hirsutism? Hirsutism is uh, facial hair. Hair, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah hair. Or hair all over the body, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that the, type of dark hair. Like, dark hair, yeah. yeah. And it's very hard for young women, I know, like especially young girls, uh, they have to... They, yeah, there's so much pressure on teenagers yeah. now and also with social media, like how people are... Are presented like yeah, then perfect, com- hairless compar- bodies. Yeah, yeah, comparison against that, like so. Yeah, and well, that's great that they can come and see you. So, how often would somebody come, say, with that? Yeah, so for uh, people that are menstruating, I tend to see them every four weeks or the length of a menstrual cycle, so I can so I can trace the symptom symptom pattern over 
over the length of the menstrual cycle. So, I mean, if it's a six-week cycle, which is it's unusual, but yeah, I want to see how the medicine has worked for the entire for the entirety of the cycle. So there is a tendency that people will focus just on their symptoms around menstruation, but I want to see the symptom pattern around ovulation as well, or for the entirety of the cycle. Well, yeah, than, it's a whole like, process. It just doesn't come with the period. It comes yeah, throughout it's a whole the process. Thing, like, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And then for boys, I mean, boys go through, do you get young men with hormonal stuff that uh, much? It's more for them, it's more just if they have teenage ac- acne. Really, teenage right? acne. It wouldn't be... They wouldn't come with the emotions, of course, because they're <laughs> Young men. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even as men my age, like it can be difficult to navigate emotions around that. Um, And so I probably wouldn't have the, I mean, it depends on my relationship with that patient, but sometimes I would just feel a lot of tension in the consultation and I wouldn't have the capacity to navigate talking about emotional cycles with. A teenage boy, like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and even with male patients, it might be difficult enough just depending on um, what yeah. that individual relationship is, like, you know. I suppose I'm talking about it because I'm a mom of yeah. a, a, a teenage boy and a, a tween, in between boy, between child and teenager. So mm. I, I kind of get the whole difficulty of how to navigate the emotional conversation sure, yeah. with them and I'm very experienced with emotions so yeah. yeah it's a yeah it's a difficult one and 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 whatever difficult we feel around it they're feeling it a lot worse yeah. but you do see men for low mood they might come with depression yeah. and then you work with that yeah yeah um, and I mean it could be low libido as well or people okay. worried about their PSA. So, for example, men in midlife. Will What's also, PSA? Sorry. Uh, prostate specific antigen. Okay. So, if that's high, then it indicates that there's a danger of prostate enlargement. Like, and so um, that can be an important clinical sign for people. Um, Absolutely. Forties or fifties. I mean, we don't want to go into a situation of a really enlarged prostate, like, and then problems with. Um, peeing and, yes. and libido as well at, at that mm-hmm. stage. Like, but I mean, clinically, unless there's a cancer in the prostate gland, it's called benign prostate okay. aplasia. So it, it's a benign or an unknown reason for why it's enlarging. Um, but well, that's I, good. Does the herbalism look at why? Uh, we we don't know exactly. I mean, there's a lot of parameters that could cause it. Mm-hmm. For example, um, I mean, it's it's the main amount of chemicals that are in our um, environment all of the time, like particularly things that mimic estrogens. So a lot of detergents and plastic-type chemicals that are in our environment mimic estrogen in both male and female bodies. And so that can really be a cause, for example, a cause for disrupted menstrual cycles, but it can also be a cause for, it's really, it's really pretty much proven now that it's the cause for younger 
young young girls going into menstrual cycles early. So, for example, in the states, wow. some some girls go into puberty at seven now. Like so, it's 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 really emotionally disturbing for us as adults mm-hmm. to hear about that. But you can imagine the emotional disturbance of a seven year old child mm-hmm. going into puberty at that age without having support to to mm. navigate such a change in the body at that stage you know? so that could be from um toxins in the environment from plastics and detergents yeah so fever fever detergents um as in not not high grade natural detergents have more disruptive chemical uh agents in the, that 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 can put, that can mimic estrogen in the body and then that brings on early early puberty wow i never knew that i never knew that it's a really good she's a medical herbalist but she's also a doctor she only treats women she's called a viva rom and she has a she's really she puts out a lot of free content but she has a really good blog and and she talks about that she's pretty interesting she's from she's from the projects in new york as in from housing projects from a really poor background um and and she she was kind of a hippie in her 20s, but she did midwifery. So she's really into home birthing. And then she's a herbalist and she's also an MD. So she studied in Yale as well. So she has a really scientific or medical grounding as well as um, as well as having a holistic view on poverty in the states and um she sounds just, amazing she's got like everything in her she does <laughs> yeah she has a really good life experience as well as a really comprehensive view of what's going on i mean they i i like listening to her but her her audience is 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 women um probably not uh, anyway and uh, so for me as a male listening to her, I'm, I often feel slightly ostracized in a way because she's not talking to men at all. Like, so, but anyway, I can still tune in and harvest the information that I want from her. But, but she was the one that, that suggested that about, uh, according to her research, it's to do with very low food quality and very low detergent or chemical quality in 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 people in the states because it's that occurrence of early onset puberty happens more in housing project areas in the states in terms of people that are on a really low income so again it's related to food quality and uh, chemical in the environments wow that's fascinating i'm definitely gonna check her out you should actually send her a little email or something and tell her you listen and maybe she doesn't think men will listen <laughs> uh, yeah maybe i mean i'm on our mailing list with okay. the mail with the mail name okay but anyway so she knows yeah, somewhere yeah. but i mean her whole thing is uh sisters sisters were in this together like, okay and so yeah. yeah okay I don't, I don't mind yeah <laughs> as long as i can use her information that's that's good for me, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow, that is fascinating. And then midlife uh, people coming into midlife or kind of finding themselves in midlife. I mean, mm. we, we talked briefly before recording. Yeah. There isn't many great words for midlife, is there? No, well, I, as I said, uh, uh, 
before we started this, like I was really confused because I was thinking I'm not midlife. I'm like I'm after midlife. I'm definitely not halfway through, but what it really refers to is the middle of our adult years, like and so I was wondering recently how was I going through a midlife crisis? Um, which I might have been a mini one. I think it lasted about a week or 10 days. Okay. And then, yeah. And then I realized actually this is something that a lot of people go through, like in terms of wondering where they are in life. Um, yes. And then when I, then when I found out that, oh yeah, it's a, it's a midlife thing. And then, or the middle of our adult's life. And these are normal feelings that a lot of people go through like and then I realized I looked at the symptom pattern of what certain people do like as in people will often men will go out and buy a really flashy sports car or do things that are out of line with their normal spending thing um I I was just able to think actually I'm probably spending too much time by myself I need to be around people more like and uh and since I've been making more of a concerted, concerted effort to socialize, that I'm feeling much better and not in that particular crisis <laughs> that I was in. Yes, yes. But it did bring up, it brought up stuff for you. And yeah. I, I think that is one of the gifts of midlife is to it kind of bring something up. It may not feel like a gift, yeah. but when you, if you do take time to reflect and review and think actually, yeah, I could do I could do something to help myself in this place. Yeah, I mean there was a wave, certainly a wave of vulnerability and emotions. Mm. I think what it was was really uh I was really comparing myself to other people in terms of achievements or external achievements. Um it's never a good idea for me. No, to never a good idea. To anyone, and I don't think it's yeah. a good idea for anybody it's to compare themselves. Because, I mean, we're all individuals here. Yes. And, and our own life is magical and amazing in itself. Like, but comparisons are to do with relativity and not um, very rarely productive. Like, so. No, they only make you feel bad. Mm. I don't think anyone compares himself to somebody and feels good after it. Mm. Um, also, you bet the people you're comparing yourself with are comparing themselves with you <laughs> and feeling bad about themselves. So yeah, yeah like you said, it's relative yeah. and yeah. And, you know, wow, you've got an amazing practice here. Mm. Something to be very proud of. Yeah, no, I mean, that is a thing as well. Like I, like in terms of, I suppose I'm at a place now where I need to set some more goals for myself. Like mm. I'm saying, I have it this amazing practice and I also do live in Wicklow now but mm-hmm. I, I do need to set some other kind of bigger goals I'm at that place of accountability to myself in a way like in yeah. terms of wondering what the next things to do are like so great yeah. yeah that's exciting yeah does it feel exciting it does I mean I yeah I'm just kind of catalyzing ideas in my mind as well like so yeah. Mm. yeah and I think we we also mentioned that earlier is that you know you get to you set a goal you get to it mm. so obviously living in Wicklow and mm. working in your own practice in Wicklow was a goal and you get to that and then it's like okay what's, what's next, next? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and and that is very much a midlife thing and if you if you can take time to reflect I think it's really important 
no matter where you are in life, but I think, you know, when we're younger, we're like hell for leather, mm. just experiencing so much that sometimes we don't always plan ahead. Uh, okay, great. And you also do Shiatsu. Yeah, so Shiatsu was kind of our first love in terms of um, getting into natural medicine. Um, I, I had a couple of Shiatsu treatments when I was living in Belfast. And I really liked it. I just like the applicability because people leave their clothes on during the treatment. It can also be done anywhere. Like traditionally, well, it comes from Japan, but traditionally it's done on the floor. I tend to use a lower table now, uh, just as I've adapted my own practice to it. Um, Because I tend to get older people in quite a bit and it's harder for them to get up and down off the floor. But so shiatsu is kind of a fusion of a lot of different things. It's basically a hands-on folk medicine. It has a really nice story because in Japan, which is quite a traditional society, uh, blind people always practice shiatsu. Oh. Um, so it was thought at that time that because there was a loss of one sense or or people only have four senses rather than five senses that they had a natural amplification of the sense of touch um and that could could be true like if you read wikipedia they say it's not true but wikipedia says a lot of things that aren't true which i, I think are true like but the other thing about um you can edit wikipedia can you still do that you can do yeah it, yeah, yeah. Um can put your little take in there. I could, yeah. <laughs> um, but the other thing about it, it being done by blind people was that blind people then had a reverential place in society and that they it was their job to look after everybody else. Like So if people had, um, for example, sore joints or digestive conditions or emotional issues, then they were looked after by the blind practitioners like and also there's a sense of refinement in japan so mm-hmm. there was a there's really developed really well developed sense or symptoms for diagnosing through shiatsu through different parts of the body but particularly the abdomen and um, which is called the hara in japanese so some people would call it the solar plexus or in yes. china it's called the dantian but the abdomen, so from what's our bellies, like, so from our, the bottom of our rib cage down to the top of our pelvis is where our, our large intestine and small intestines are, like, and because they aren't covered by bones, they're actually really palpable or really easily able to be touched and respond really well to touch. So, um, so it's a nice area to have massage because the rest of our organs are blocked off by the protective rib cage, for for example. And so organ massage has a massive effect on improving digestive function as well as emotional responses elsewhere. So as a mom, you'd probably know mm-hmm. that just rubbing a baby's belly can really melt away emotions and similar with dogs as well like if if ever I'm around dogs like just rubbing their belly they just melt on the spot like which um, 
I think if you spoke yeah. to any, I don't know, the endocrinologist or anyone like that, doctors who especially deal with children, but all people, that it's hold a lot of their anxiety in their tummy. So mm. I definitely brought one, one, one or two of my children to doctors a few times with pains in their bellies and mm. And they were like, well, it could be this or it could be, you know, there's just emotions, you know, and and sometimes it was emotions and sometimes it was physical. So it's always something that even, you know, whatever consultants are aware of is yeah. it can be. So that's that's interesting. So massaging that area myself, I know the, the, the solar plexus has definitely been an area that I've healed. I've been healing, been healing all my life, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we. It's our power center as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so that's really why um, when we look at statues of the Buddha, like mm-hmm. he, he always has a massive belly. And similarly, um, samurai warriors are always depicted as having a, a massive belly as well because they see it as a center of consciousness there. Like, and to have a big hara or a big belly means that there's more residual con- consciousness there or more power held there like so it's well, kind of so, in, so it's a good thing yeah <laughs> it's a good thing to have a big belly um, and to be proud of our bellies like and it's in opposition to current culture in terms of having a really flat belly and really trying to hide and suck it in and, and also if we do that we're really diminishing ourselves in a way yeah. like you know in terms of holding ourselves back like so wow uh, yeah so let it all hang out let it hang out <laughs> increase your belly size with your power mm. but it's also like you said it's it's uh there's so many nerves there as well yeah so there's like, a massive nerve like, plexus second there, brain right? yeah. yeah yeah i mean there is a massive nerve cluster uh around the heart and yes. obviously in our in the brain and our skulls as well so there's really three centers of consciousness in the body in terms of the brain, the heart, and the, the belly as well. Like. And so, as you say, um, when we massage this area, we are resetting the nervous system there, and that, through the vagus nerve, is able to reset the rest of the body as well. So you were saying earlier that, you know, people come to you probably as a last resort after they've been through everything else and nothing yeah. works. I see uh, a huge uh, increase in posts and it's probably the algorithms that I look at if mm. I look at social media they, there's a huge increase of herbalists getting on and and, and telling people showing people or, or talking about their work and mm. I think they're increasing in popularity even with the kids you know TikTok apparently has a big increase of that and mm-hmm. uh, you'd be surprised what will be coming your way into your office in the next uh, while yeah, I mean, obviously, for a lot of people, it is the last protocol to come to it, mm-hmm. to come to me. But for some people, it isn't, you know, mm-hmm. for some people, they recognize, actually, this, I do have an affinity for natural medicines, and, and they have an interest in, in that, like, so, um, and some people have a dislike for the medical system anyway, like, so yes. they, they do want natural remedies yeah. like so but so there is a mix of people that have a preference for natural medicine and a mix of people that will come just as a, a last resort or something like but there are some doctors um for example um 
it would usually be oncology consultants that might say, look, go and see a herbalist. It's really good for support around dealing with chemotherapy or radiotherapy. That's exactly where I was going to go next, actually. <laughs> yes. Do you work hand in hand with medicine for if somebody is going through cancer? Yeah, I'm not directly in consultation with the con- with the consultants, but but I but we can refer to each other if we need to. For example, if they want to know what's in the in the prescription. Um, similarly, for people that are going through Lyme's disease, recommendation is to have herbal medicine along with the severe antibiotic therapy that that Lyme's patients go through. Like, but because Lyme's disease, well, I mean, cancer as well. There's a lot of what we call comorbidities or things that happen along with cancer and Mm -hmm. then herbal medicine is really good for treating both of those conditions along with the prescription medications as well because there can be a lot of emotional fallout as well as systemic difficulties in in dealing with those really chronic conditions like cancer and absolutely yeah and uh, so like with my belief is is like um it's all connected like Mm. our emotions and physical and belief systems Mm. like it's it's not one thing yeah Yeah. it's a a hologram yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. and it's a combination of everything and like you said we're complex is Mm. that part of your belief as well well it's also how i practice like it's it's unusual that I'd be making a prescription just for one thing. But mm-hmm. but for example, with anxiety, it might happen like, like that, or it might be that I'm just treating him. Well, even with a menstrual cycle, it, it, it wouldn't just be, it wouldn't just be the menstrual cycle. I mean, or it would rarely be that. Like, but the prescription can treat up to seven or eight different symptoms or, mm-hmm. or, uh, I've just said about the aptogens they'll find yeah. a way to treat different parts as yeah well. yeah and okay. and the herbs are so complex in nature that they can treat multiple sy- systems at once but if I'm making a bespoke prescription or a prescription for a patient it'll usually have six or eight different herbs in it and there can be an overlap in function of what those herbs are doing doing in there um, but but they do provide systemic support for multiple different symptoms. So do you get many people um, who are going through cancer coming through your door? Uh, it tends to come in waves of um, people, but I I do have a, a few people with cancer at the moment. Um, I don't treat the cancer directly. Like it's usually just a supportive prescription for dealing with the chemotherapy or the or the radiation therapy. And would you do shiatsu on people with cancer? I do. I don't think I am at the moment. I think mm-hmm. all of the cancer people I have at the moment are just on herbal prescriptions. So I suppose because it's, in a way, a few different disciplines that I practice. Um, so some people I would be working at a herbal level. Uh, with other people, it's um, kind of hybrid, I suppose, between shiatsu and herbal medicine usually there's some sort of nutrition aspect and then there's kind of like a little bit of counseling or 
advice going on as well, like in terms of lifestyle advice or even life navigating advice, like mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah. coaching. Yeah, mm-hmm. coaching. Yeah. 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 So yeah, you're a hybrid yeah. practitioner. Yeah. Yes, brilliant. Um, that sounds really great work that you're doing. Mm. And I think anybody coming in here will receive a very thorough session of healing, mm. you know. Yeah, I mean, that is also a a fundamental part of natural medicine is the consultation itself. So it often takes an hour, sometimes it can go over two hours. And it's a really important unfolding for the patient because often they've never had a chance to tell their entire medical history. And when it's put in a context of the herbal consultation format it unfolds in a progressive way and people can hear themselves say particular things that they've perhaps never said within that context and just externalizing that process can be cathartic in itself but it can also allow us to see things in perspective that we may have never put together those a to b to c links before like so that is uh, healing itself yes i agree i agree i i go to see a homeopath uh, in Galway, Sarah. Mm. And when I lived in Galway, I used to go and see her. And I often felt that before I took the remedy that I had felt better. Mm. And it was because the line of questioning Mm. got me to see things differently and interpret things slightly differently because I had never voiced it before. And Mm. I'd never, yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the same. I think. Yeah. That's amazing. Isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there are things that we wouldn't put two and two together in our logical mind. Yeah. Yeah. And again, hearing ourselves say it, it, it's like having a chat with a friend. Like you go, oh yeah, never put that together before. Like, but some part of that externalization of our thought process. gives ex- clarity to the situation the expression yeah. Is, yeah. is 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 letting that through mm. yeah it's acknowledging it it's a big part of healing yeah yeah, yeah oh, great fantastic mm. well thank you so much johnny i don't know how long we've gone on this but um yeah we have okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, i could talk to you for a lot longer yeah. but thank you so much You're for welcome. doing yeah. the interview with me yeah. today and i will I will put some show notes up about how people can contact you. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. great. Yeah. And thank you so, so yeah. much. Yeah. You've been listening to Lady Time and Carol Fitzpatrick and Johnny Roach talking about herbalism, midlife, shiatsu and more. Thanks for listening. I'll be back soon. Thank you.